Christians have almost no understanding of who they are in Christ and why they are in Christ and what all that means. And they are continually plagued by doubts. They're constantly looking for some sort of external proof of their salvation. And they never seem to rise above these doubts because they don't know where to find assurance. And why is this? Primarily because many belong to churches where the eternal truth of God's word has been replaced with compromise and heresy. Churches where the preaching of the gospel has been replaced with uh, growth strategies, contextualizations and political correctness. And yes, preachers in these churches do use Bible verses, but only to sugarcoat their own ideas, to tickle people's ears and to promote pragmatic pragmatic methods which encourage maximum giving and maximum church attendance. And if you think I'm being harsh, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. It's very, very hard to find a church these days where it preaches the gospel and you can find out how to get saved and why you're saved and be encouraged in that. You see, these type of churches have revolving doors. Many, many people leave because there is no power of God in these weekly pep talks that pass off as sermons. People who are looking for real answers to life's great questions simply don't hang around these so-called churches because they will never provide such answers. And some of those people who leave, I, I feel tremendously sorry for them, they leave still looking for real answers. Sometimes they, they substitute church attendance for religious TV and other forms of broadcasting. And tragically, this is a case of jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. You don't have to see much religious TV to realise it's overrun with charlatans and salesmen who parrot each other's messages and yet claim that these are prophetic words from God. And this is nothing new. Listen to Jeremiah 23, 30 to 32. The Lord is pronouncing judgment here against false prophets of Jeremiah's time. And the situation here is astonishingly comparable to what is going on today. It says, Therefore, says the Lord, I am against these prophets who steal messages from each other and claim they are from me. I am against these smooth-tongued prophets who say, This prophecy is from the Lord. I am against these false prophets, their imaginary dreams and flagrant lies that lead my people into sin. I did not send or appoint them, and they have no message at all for my people. I, the Lord, have spoken. And today we see all this happening not just on a small, in a small restricted way among Christian fringe groups, so to speak, but in a massive way against many supposedly reputable Christian churches. And for example, the unbiblical religious movement known as the New Apostolic Reformation, or the NAR, is now so large that it may establish the fifth branch of Christianity, distinct from Catholicism, Protestantism, Oriental Orthodoxy, and Eastern Orthodoxy. The NAR's teachings, which emphasize experience over scripture and mysticism over doctrine, are no longer considered weird or unusual in most churches. Their doctrines are regularly taught in many churches that, that have like well-known established denominational tags, including Baptists. And the Lord willing, I want to do some teaching on this sometime about the origin and doctrine 
at, and the aims of the new apostolic reformation. But I mention it today simply to emphasize that many so-called Christian churches in this city and in this state and in this nation and in the Western world in general have been thoroughly immersed in the heretical teachings of movements like the NAR. And most, most of them don't even, they're not even aware of it. So if you are looking for real answers tonight to life's great questions, be extremely diligent. That's my message. Be diligent. Be sure to search out a church which teaches that God's word is inspired, it is inerrant, it is infallible, it is all-sufficient, and the ultimate authority of all faith and practice. Only the word of God can provide you with truthful answers to the important questions in life. So my question, have you been born again? If your answer is no, you are in the most terrible danger. I say that so sincerely. You are in the most terrible danger. You risk of being condemned to everlasting ruin, to suffering from which there will be no respite and no recovery. Or if your answer is, I don't know, then you must find out. You must. You simply must find out. Because unless you have been truly born again, your, your church attendance, your, your charitable deeds and all your religious activities will count for nothing at the bar of Almighty God and he will judge you as a condemned sinner. In John's Gospel, it says that one dark evening, a man called Nicodemus, a respected religious teacher and leader, came to speak with Jesus. And he respectfully addressed him as rabbi, and he said that he knew and that others knew that God had sent him to teach because his miraculous signs were such that no one could perform these things without the direct help of God. And this proved that God was with him. And the Bible records that Jesus answered and said to him, Nicodemus, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, John 3.3. 3. Now, at first reading, we might think that Jesus' answer to Nicodemus was not connected, even connected with what he just said. Like so many religious people today, Nicodemus at that stage only saw Jesus as a great man, a wonderful teacher, an inspirational leader, and an outstanding example. But he didn't realize he was talking to God in the flesh, who had come down with the message that just as physical birth is necessary for physical life, yet another birth, a spiritual birth, was necessary for eternal life. And without this second birth, no one can come into the kingdom of God. Jesus was in fact saying, Nicodemus, from a man's perspective, you reached the high point of religious knowledge and practice and achievement. But none of your knowledge or praying or fasting or giving of arms or other religious activities will secure you a place in God's kingdom. Only a new spiritual birth from above will ensure you of that. And today we have many religious people who think they're saved because, you know, they're baptized church members. And here at Hope Church, we, we certainly teach that every, every believer should be baptized, must be baptized. And we encourage all who call Hope their spiritual home to become members of the local church. But neither church membership nor water baptism can make you a Christian. Water baptism is a symbol designed to portray death, burial and resurrection. But it will not change you or give birth to your soul. Only God, the Holy Spirit, can do that. Now... Remember Simon the sorcerer in the book of Acts. It says that Simon had astonished the people of Samaria with his sorceries for a long time. 
And all the people gave heed to him, from the least to the greatest of them, saying, This man is the great power of God. And then Simon encountered Philip, the evangelist, as he preached things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And he saw men and women being baptized. Acts, 13, Acts 8, 13 says, Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. But listen to what happened later. And I'm, I'm reading here from the J.B. Phillips New Testament paraphrase because it leaves us in no doubt as to the baptized Simon's, the sorcerer's spiritual condition before God. Listen to this. When Simon saw how the Holy Spirit was given through the apostles laying on of hands, he offered the money with the words, give me this power also, so that if I were to put my hands on anyone, he could receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, and now... Look, we know that Peter can sometimes say things we weren't expecting, don't we? Like he, could, he sort of did that. So mums and dads, you know, block your kids' ears for a moment. But Peter said to him, to hell with you and your money. How dare you think you could buy the gift of God? You can have no share in the place in this ministry for your heart is not honest before God. All you can do now is repent of this wickedness of yours and pray earnestly to God that the evil intention of your heart may be forgiven. For I see inside you that you are a man bitter with jealousy and bound with his own sin. Do you reckon Simon was born again? There must be a change of heart in order to be saved. But in Simon's case, there was no change of heart. His heart was not honest before God. He went into the waters of baptism, a dry sinner, and he came out a wet sinner. It says he believed, but his faith was obviously not a saving faith. James 2.19 says, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So maybe, like Simon, you have believed and been water baptized. But how may you know that you have been born again? This is just so important because without biblical assurance of salvation, you can neither be happy nor content. How can you be happy unless you know that you are eternally saved? And how can you ever be content if you think you're saved now, but you might be lost tomorrow? As one preacher said, my beloved, there is a big difference in holding on to a limb and being in the limb. Born again people are not holding on to Christ. They are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. The Greek word ginosko is found 21 times in the first epistle of John, which we're going to have a look at now. It means to know, to realize, to perceive, to understand. And the Apostle John wrote his first epistle under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we may know some things. And evidences of the new birth feature prominently throughout his letter. John mentions several evidences, and I want us to have a look through them now. Firstly, we know we are born again because of our saving faith in Christ. The first part of John 1 Sorry, the first part of 1 John 5, 1 says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The Greek word for believes here, pisteo, is an expression of personal trust 
and reliance, as distinct from, you know, mere, mere credence or acceptance. We, we call this saving faith. Saving faith is a continuing faith. It's a defining characteristic of all those who have been born again. Saving faith goes beyond intellectual acceptance. It is a wholehearted and undying dedication to Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And note here that we do not believe just in any Jesus, any Christ, but the Christ. Jesus could not be the legitimate object of saving faith unless he is the Christ. The Christ encompasses his three divinely bestowed offices, that of prophet, priest, and king. Jesus could not reveal the way of salvation unless he were a prophet. He could not outwork that salvation unless he were a priest. And he could not confer that salvation upon us unless he were a king. And he could not be prophet, priest, or king except that he were the Christ. All who are born again will manifest the reality of their regeneration by continuing to believe and to testify that Jesus, God's own Son, is the Christ, the Savior of the world. 1 John 4.14 And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Salvation is not in a system, it's not in a creed, it's not in a ceremony. Salvation is in a person. And that person is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we know we're born again because of our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. The second part of 1 John 5.1 affirms that everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. In other words, everyone who has a genuine saving faith in Christ also loves God and also loves his fellow believers. Now, sometimes... You know, fellow Christians are not easy to love. I'm sure you'll agree. They can be pretty annoying. The two women in my own family, my wife Rosemary and my daughter Annie, often find me very annoying, I can tell you. But they still love me. And when we were in Croatia recently, Rosemary and I were holidaying, and I, and I posted this picture of Rosemary giving me a hearty kiss on the cheek. We were on the Adriatic coast. It was all nice, and she's giving me this kiss on the cheek. And I wrote in a caption, she loves me, exclamation mark. And it got more likes than just about anything I've ever posted. It's just amazing. <laughs> Although Craig Island, party pooper, he said, oh, that's a surprise to us all. <laughs> a Christian pastor. I was deeply wounded, really. <laughs> but seriously, we must keep in mind that who Christians are in themselves is different to who they are in Christ. In themselves, they're a work in progress. We, we all are, aren't we? We know that. But in Christ, they are perfect and they are beloved of the Father. And if we are born again of the same Spirit, we will love them just as we love God. And we'll speak a little bit more about this later. There, point three. We know we're born again because of the witness of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 5.10 says... He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that God's testimony of Christ is true. God's Spirit dwells in them and witnesses to them that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit 
witness bears witness with our human spirit that we have been born again. Galatians 4, 6, we read, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his, sons, of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. No one has the right to call God Father unless they are born again sons indwelt by the Holy Spirit. John 1, 12 to 13. But as many as received him, received Christ, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. If we do not have the eternal witness of God's Spirit in our hearts, then our salvation is doubtful. Romans 8, 9 says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. It's quite telling that some people, if you ask them whether they're saved, will say, I don't know. And, you know, like some actually do know, but they sort of think admitting would be seen as proud or arrogant or something. But most of these people who say they don't know are in effect saying they're not saved because they have no eternal witness in themselves. They are not a new creation in Christ. They are the same as they have always been. The eternal eternal witness of the Holy Spirit is yet another proof that we can know that we are born again. Next, we know we're born again because God's divine love has been implanted into our hearts. 1 John 3, 14 to 16 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So we've already touched on this. If you don't love the people of God, then it's very doubtful that you've been born again. God's divine love, the the Greek word is, is agape. It acknowledges that special type of Christian love is the Christian's badge of identity to the world. Jesus said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us, Romans 5.5, 5, we are enabled even to love our enemies. Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Matthew 5.44-45. Charles Spurgeon said, the divine love of God is an exotic plant that is brought down from the throne of God and placed into the regenerate hearts. Isn't that lovely? We are born again. We know we are born again because we are overcomers. 1 John 5, 4-5, we read, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You know, the world system is just one gigantic, wicked arrangement designed to overcome people into sin and temptation. 
People of the world are completely taken up with the form of this world, which the Bible says is passing away. They're constantly overcome and tripped up by their own evil desires of all for all that is temporal and sensual and ungodly. Proverbs 14, 9, 14, 19 says, The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not, do not know what makes them stumble. But whoever is born of God overcomes the world. He's able to rise above the lies and deception of the world system and, and see things from their true eternal perspective. One commentator observes, thus the one who really overcomes the world is not the great scientist or philosopher or, or psychologist, but, but the simple believer who realizes that the things that are seen are temporary and the things that are not seen are eternal. The sight of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ dims the glory of this world. Our faith in the Son of God enables us to overcome. The unsaved are overcome by the devil, while the saved are overcomers by faith in the blood of Christ. Revelation 12, 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. The believers overcoming victories based on the death of Christ and their testimony to the value of his death. We know we are born again because of the witness of God's word. In John 17, 17, Jesus is praying to the Father for his disciples and he prays, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Psalm 119, 160 says, the entirety of your word is truth. Luke 21, 33 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And 1 Peter 1, 25, but the word of the Lord endures forever. There are many other passages which declare that God's word is entirely and unchangeably true. God is not a liar. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? So when God's word declares in 1 John 5, 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and we can have supreme and unshakable confidence that this is true. God will never know more than what he's always known. Therefore, there will be no unforeseen circumstances that will change uh, anything that he has declared in his word about him, about us, about everything. In John 5, 24, Jesus declares, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death to life has present tense everlasting life has present tense passed from death to life we can know that we are born again by the permanent and unalterable witness of god's holy inerrant word we know we are born again by the witness of new things in 2 Corinthians 5.17 in the New American Standard Bible, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. The key to a proper understanding of this word, uh, verse is in the words, in Christ. The rest of the verse relates to this expression. The Greek word used for new things, kainos, refers to, in, in, uh, in the words in Christ, sorry, I'll go back again, it refers to things that are fresh and unworn. 
like, like putting on a brand new garment. So the primary assertion here is that when a person is born again, he becomes a brand new creature. And now when God looks at him, he no longer sees him dressed in the filthy rags of sin and depravity, but as someone who's clothed with the righteousness of Christ. For he, God, made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When a person is born again, God no longer looks upon him as a condemned child of Adam. Instead, he sees him as a new creation in Christ, and he accepts him on that basis, because his new position in Christ is perfect, just as Christ is perfect. It can never be approved upon. However, the believer's behavior is not perfect. His behavior is subject to continual transformation while ever he's on earth and in the presence of sin. This is also known as progressive sanctification. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. It's important that we understand while our position is who we are in Christ and it is perfect, our behavior is who we are in ourselves. And that's obviously not perfect. There's a distinct, there's a distinct difference between the two. However, it's also crucial that we understand that our position and our behavior are also inseparably connected. Salvation without sanctification is a contradiction. The same Holy Spirit who causes the new birth performs sanct perform sanctification in every born-again believer. The process of, of sanctification or increasing holiness will be more noticeable and it will happen at a different pace with some people compared to others. But no one who is born of the Spirit can remain totally unchanged in their behavior. Some things obviously will not change. You know, they will look the same as the photo on their driver's license. They will laugh the same and they might have some same mannerisms as before. But there is something noticeably new about every new, new born-again believer. You know, like a lady, when she wears a gorgeous new dress, other ladies will definitely notice. A new believer will be more and more repulsed by the sinful things that he once loved. He may struggle with certain deep-seated sins for an indefinite period of time, but there will be a desire to live a pure and sanctified life before God and before people. When he sins, he will be quick to repent, whereas before, he didn't even care. Unless those same sins brought him a level of you know, discomfort or, or, or inconvenience, he would, he would just shrug them off. He will have new desires, new appetites, new determinations, new aspirations, new thoughts, and new companions. A newly saved girl once asked her well-known pastor if she should shake off her old companions. And he told her that when they found out she was a Christian, she would not have to shake them off. They would shake her off. Sheep and goats do not buddy up. They are just too different in nature, in desires, and in habits. 1 Peter 4, 3-4 says... For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, meaning the will of the unsaved. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. The person who is born again will recognize that because of the sins 
that we've just mentioned and other sins, his Saviour had to suffer the pain and humiliation of the cross and bear the wrath of God on our behalf. And his new desire will be to love God and do only the things that pleases him. We know we're born again by the witness of the divine nature. Would you please turn with me to 2 Peter 1. And we're going to be reading from we're going to be reading from verses 2 to 11. 2 Peter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly love, to, and to brotherly love kindness, and to brotherly love, sorry, I mucked that up, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Someone just recently told me that because we are partakers of the divine nature, we will become the same as God, to which I replied that is incorrect. There will always be a difference between the creature and the creator. You might describe someone as having, you know, the gentle nature of a little lamb. doesn't mean he will ever become a little lamb. We are partakers of the divine nature, not so we can become the same as God, but to make us fit for heaven. If a person was to go to heaven without this divine nature, heaven would be just hell to him. Imagine an unregenerate, unholy person in a holy heaven, in the presence of a holy God, in the presence of the holy angels and all the saints with the angelic host singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He just couldn't bear it, could he? But of course, that can never happen because we must have a new divine nature to fit us for heaven. And that divine nature is given to us in the new birth. As we draw to a close, a quote from J.C. Ryle. Are you born again? This is one of life's more, most important questions. Jesus Christ said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3.3 3. It is not enough to reply, I belong to the church. I, I, I suppose I'm a Christian. Thousands of nominal Christians show none of the signs of being born again which the scriptures have given us, many of them listed in the first epistle of John. So we've examined the signs and evidence of the new birth, but now we must examine ourselves. 
2 Corinthians 3, 13, 5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? It may be that you have considered all the evidences that we've gone through tonight and decided, I, I cannot honestly say that all of them apply to me. And then one of two things is probably at play. Maybe you are born again, but lack proper understanding as to what these scriptures are saying that that is possible or maybe the holy spirit has revealed to you that you're not actually born again at all that's entirely possible too and it's not that unusual you may have heard of paul washer the well-known missionary and evangelist but you may not have heard of his wife charo washer i want to share the testimony with you as we finish I've endeavoured to, to edit and condense it without omitting anything important, but, but it is a little bit lengthy. So I ask you, please, just give me your undivided attention for a few minutes longer because I think there are people listening to this who will really identify with, with her and to whom God will speak through this particular testament. <clears throat> Incredibly, Charo Washer was married to Paul, did missionary work in Peru, and yet she wasn't born again. She grew up in a moral home, went to church and attended a Christian school. She mostly hung around missionary kids, found it easy to dress and look like a Christian because all her friends did too. And when she was 14 years old, she was asked at school if she wanted to have Jesus in her heart. And of course she raised her hand because at her school it was kind of expected that you would love Jesus to be good and to do good things. And so she prayed a prayer but she didn't have any form of repentance in her heart or experience any hurt because of her sin. And she reasoned, she was not a bad kid by any means. She hadn't done anything bad by the standards of the world. She and her friends were Christians and they didn't go around drinking and doing bad stuff. And so it was pretty, for her, pretty easy for her just to fit into that mold. Then when she was 16, she was at a youth camp and felt that God was calling her to serve in missions. And she remembers that other kids felt that God was calling them too. But many of them did not even stay in church. The church she was in didn't teach people how to read or study the Bible for themselves. So the youth would just discuss things amongst each other. Are you reading the word? Yeah. So how do you do it? Well, you take the word like this, you flip it around, and then whatever you put your finger on, that's what God wants you to read for the day. So she just grew up in her own imagination of what was right and wrong and she would just catch a little bit here and there from preaching. But there was no real desire in her heart to read the word of God for herself. At 20 years old, she, she married a missionary, but her love for missions was purely because she had a love for people. She evangelized some people and she witnessed for Christ. But she says, looking back, the only explanation is that if God can speak through a mule... He can speak through anyone. So when she related her story for, to some well-meaning friends, they said, well, you know, it's not that you weren't saved. It's just that, you know, sometimes we kind of grow cold in our love for God. But I mean, look at you. You, you know, you've been a missionary for 12 years. But Charo knew better. It wasn't what she'd done. She knew that because it, then it would be all works and she'd earn her way to heaven. But she knew she'd been empty for years. There was no zeal, no heart no real desire to serve God it was like read your devotions check do this check do that check that's what good people do another thing she realized there was no power to overcome sin in her life and she felt it was getting worse 
And she was struggling to even give an appearance of being holy. And when she would listen to preaching, her mind would be on the grocery list at the same time. And if she happened to hear something that applied to her own life, she would always make up excuses so she could say, stay as she was. Oh, that person can do that, but that's because they're emotional, you know. Uh, they cry and go to the altar. Well, I'm just not that kind of person. And she remembers her husband Paul preaching from 1 John, like we did tonight. How do you know if you're a Christian? And every time Paul preached that message, she would just squirm in her seat. She would think, how did I, how did I just go through this test and feel okay at the end? I'm not passing, and if I am passing, I'm barely passing. And then all of a sudden she's thinking, wait a minute, you either pass the tests of 1 John or you don't. And she felt like God was saying to her, you know, you need to get alone and think about this. But she'd make up excuses in her own mind. But eventually she had to admit to herself, I'm not a Christian. I can't be struggling so much and literally have no life. I have no desire to do this. I'm just making myself do it. Even in Peru, when she was a missionary, after the novelty of that work wore off, she realized she wasn't there before God, but because she was just doing the right thing. And when they came back from Peru to the United States, she didn't really want to minister there either. And eventually it was like God said, it's not about the place. It's not about someone else. It's about you. It's about your heart. It's about the fact that there is nothing in your heart. And one day when she was sitting outside of a church in a tent, she saw a prostitute walking up and down the road. And she remembered looking at her and thinking, I'm no better than her. I mean, anyone can take a look and see, oh my gosh, you know, she's a prostitute. You know exactly what's wrong with her. You can see it. It's just written on her face. But all these people around me, they don't have a clue. They have no idea. It's so easy to look pretty and churchy and wear a long skirt and that kind of things that won't give you away. But the heart, God sees the heart. And I had, I guess, done all the gymnastics that I could to appear godly at that point, And it was wearing me out. I mean, I could see all of a sudden, I'm no better than that woman at this moment. And nobody can see that, but God could. And at least... God opened my eyes at that moment, she says. I literally wanted to run out there screaming. If I hear another sermon, I'm just going to blow up and die or something. I know, I know, I know I'm not a Christian. She hadn't told Paul about her struggles at that point. And one day while they were driving, Paul was sitting there and saying, you know, um, I don't know what's going to happen in our lives. Uh, um, I mean, I, I don't know why the Lord has brought us here or anything like that, but I delight in just being in God's will and she literally wanted to jump out of the car she couldn't even bear hearing God's name without feeling I am in deep trouble here I'm not delighting in anything I'm in real trouble and then she told Paul everything and she said I really feel like I don't know God at all and he just listened and then he said to her you know from what you've told me I, I, I can't say to you that you're a Christian and she thought thank you I needed to hear that I needed someone else to say on the basis of what you're telling me, I can't say that you're a Christian because, you know, it's evident in your heart. And when they got home that night, she read the book of 1 John, going through each verse to see if she was a Christian. And she saw that it's not like those crazy magazine tests where people score from 1 to 10 to see, uh, you know, where they need to work on their personal people skills. Instead, she says, if you're falling even at one of those tests... It overflows to the rest of your life. If you're loving the world, it's going to overflow to the other areas of your life. 
If you're hating someone, it's going to overflow to other areas of your life. If you acknowledge God with your mouth, but you don't deny him with the rest of your being, it's all going to overflow. It's going to be evident you're not a Christian. And afterwards, she confessed to God, I have never known that I'm a sinner until now. I mean, I've said it, you know, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, everyone's a sinner, but you know, it's never been so specific in my life. It's never, I've never had it so close to my face. It's always been a generality, you know, we're all bad. But when it comes down to pointing out the specifics of your life, when God is the one who does it, it's a whole different story. And that night she prayed, God, I really, I really am at the end of my rope. I really don't know how to do better because I can't be better. I don't know how to do any of this and I can't. I don't have the power and I don't have the desire. God, there is no desire in me. There is just nothing. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm dead. And that night she just cried out to the Lord, God, save me. I've never seen my sinner, myself as a sinner like I'm seeing myself now. Sure, she wanted to go to heaven, but it was never about that. It was about God. God had for 12 years allowed Charo to be a part of the ministry for opening her eyes, showing her who she really was. I think we'll finish there. Um, I fear that if I, if I add anything else, I, I might just interfere with the Holy Spirit is doing in the, in the hearts of some people right here, right now, and just encourage you. Examine yourself. Have you been?